Yo and hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast where we talk about vintage and cards and all kinds of great stuff. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite things. I have a lot of favorite things. I tend to say that most weeks, but this week we're talking about the Hall of Fame. We're specifically talking about the Veterans Committee. Now the Veterans Committee has changed into what I call the Veterans Committee is now officially called the ERA Committees. There are four different ERAs Committees. You've got Today's Game, Modern Baseball, Golden Days, and Early Baseball. And those are bracketed by different periods of time. And it's for candidates that made most of their contributions during the different ERA from which they are talking this year in 2021, because of COVID last year, they're going to be voting on two different eras. You've got uh, the golden days is being voted for and early baseball. Now those results are going to be announced on December 5th on MLB network. And I wanted to talk through the candidates. I wanted to each ballot has 10 different candidates. I want to talk about this process I want to talk about who I think should get in, et cetera. But you guys know if it's just me, that's just one opinion. And why not have two opinions? Two heads are better than one. And so I have decided to bring on Frank, who is one of the most knowledgeable Hall of Fame guys that I know. I'm I'm blessed to have many friends in the community that are extremely knowledgeable about the Hall of Fame. But Frank and I have this kindred spirit about this because we have both, it's it's a primary focus for each of our collections. And it's something that Frank puts a lot of time into studying and analyzing. And so his expertise is awesome. Frank, thanks for being here, man. Thank you for having me. This is, this is like Christmas and New Year's and every great <laughs> holiday wrapped into one for me. It is for me as well. And we get, you know, these two committees, we're going to have, you know, normal election, you know, We've got some great people on the regular ballot. We'll do a whole nother show about that come January when when that gets going. But these veterans committees, these era committees, what do you what's your thoughts about them? What do you pros, cons? How do you feel about it? And then I I'll mean, share my the two biggest cons I have is recently after Bill Mazarowski got elected, there was a lot of uproar in 2001. And they said it was too much of cronyism going on again. I don't, I don't want to get into the whole history of the cronyism with the committee. But needless to say, some of the, let's say, least deserving Hall of Famers ever got in through these Veterans Committee back in the day. So they disbanded it. And they, they're trying to find a way now, in case your viewers don't know, they're saying the uh, the 19, let's say, pre-1950s, I think let's say, is already very well represented in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So they rearrange the committee and the voting so that they vote more often on the players from the 70s through today. So what makes this so exciting and also so nerving for me as a Hall of Fame collector is the early era committee right now is only going to be looked at once every 10 years. So Mike, we're looking at another nine years from now before these players, which including all these Negro League players, can be considered again, which is just horrible, especially for the Negro League players since they haven't even had a chance to be considered since 2006. So again, so in summary, the two worst things is you can only vote for four people. And number two is the fact that how the infrequently they actually get to vote on these candidates. Yeah. My thoughts on the era committees are 
number one, I, I, the things I like about it are that you have former major leaguers, former executives, people involved in the game making the voting decisions. Mm-hmm. I think that's really smart versus a sports writer who, although follows the game, you know, to me, no one knows what a Hall of Famer should be more than someone who's already in the Hall of Fame or involved in baseball as their livelihood and their career beyond just covering it. Not that the writers have done a a piss poor job. They haven't, they've done okay over the decades, but the reality is I like that idea. I wish it was more, I wish the committees were larger. If, if I had my, my way, I'd, I'd add more people to that. What I don't like or what, what, what naysayers will, will probably bring up is the fact that these guys had their shot on the ballot. Many of them for 15 years, they had their shot on the ballot and they didn't get in the first time. Nothing's changed in terms of they hadn't got any more hits or home runs or wins or losses. Why should they now be considered Hall of Famers? What would you say to those pundits who say they've, they had their shot, they shouldn't get another shot? Oh, there's so much to say about that. I mean, let's go back to what you said, what you would like. And now the pros and the cons of who's voting now. First of all, when they dissolved the original Veterans Committee in 2001, they said, okay, we're going to have every single member of the Hall of Fame living, including the Ford Frick winners and the Spinks winners, vote on whatever candidates they decide to put out. And that was a wreck. No one got in. No one even really came close, to be honest. I think Gil Hodges came the closest. But he was the only one to clear 50%, maybe Ron Santo also. So, And number two is I remember very distinctly when the last time their early era committee met, one of the voting members was Burp Lyleven, and Bill Dolan was on the committee. And we'll get to him in a second. And Burp Lyleven said, I did my research. I read my, I read his Wikipedia page, and I felt he wasn't a worthy candidate. I am sorry. If you're voting for, like, the most highest honor in baseball, you need to do more research than just going on a Wikipedia page. And in that same vein, the last time they met, when Harold Baines got in, I remember someone canceled, and at the last minute, Al Avila, the general manager for the Tigers, was invited to be on the committee. And again, I don't think you could have someone at the last second, even though they were voting on players more recently, like the Harold Baines, the Ted Simmons, I feel like you're required to do your research before you sit down and be on this committee. And so what's changed? The executives were never uh, considered. Umpires are never considered. Uh, again, managers were never considered through the Baseball Writers Association. They can only get in through this, uh, via this way. And most egregious, I think was the word is, only the Negro League players who never had a chance could only get in this way. And when they were getting in, they put a limit, for better or worse, they said, we are going to put in one candidate a year, I think until Hilton Smith got in. I think that was 2001 as well. When they, they limited it to one, they said, we are going to put one in. And every year one got in, but only one. Versus in 06, when they had this, wasn't it 06? They had yes. eight or 10 guys get in. I think it was closer to 17, but yes. 17, a lot of guys, a lot of yeah. Negro. And one girl, and one girl. And F.M. Manley, yes, yes, good point. So I, I just, I, I like the idea. I think that the writers sometimes are either intentionally or unintentionally biased against certain players. I think, uh, and if you look at the list of candidates, it's easy to see 
whether it's true or not, we don't I don't know. I wasn't in the hearts and minds of all the writers back in the day, but a lot of these players and people being considered are predominantly black. And I think there was a systemic bias against black players to be in the Hall of Fame. Certainly some got in, you know, the really greats, the Hank Aaron's, the Willie mm-hmm. Mazur, those kinds of guys. But those guys were, if, if you had a white player and a black player with the same stats and you took away the race factor, do they both get in? I think that probably played a role. Again, was it conscious or subconscious? Well, I mean, I again, know. to go into that, and we'll get to Dick Allen in a moment. Dick Allen, even though he came in many years after Jackie Robinson, still faced a lot of racism. There's no question about it. He literally kept him buried in the minor leagues for a while. So there's no question he had a chip on his shoulder when he came up. And he was not good to the writers. I mean, Bill James said no one ever did more to hurt their cause of getting in the Hall of Fame than Dick Allen. That being said, you take away the emotions out of it. And I'll say that about Kirk Schilling also, for that matter. I think their stats alone are deemed, no question, Hall of Famer. And to me, when you when you look at Hall of Fame candidacy, and again, we, you and I both have been doing this for decades, yeah. like not a year or two. I really believe that a player's on-field performance should be the overwhelming determining factor of whether or not they should be in the hall of fame. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything else falls way below that. How great of a guy they were, whatever, good, bad, nice to writers, mean to writers, whatever that all their political views, all of that falls completely irrelevant. I would even argue, well, Pete Rose, did he do it during his playing days or not? I don't know. Uh, But there are the on the this is a hall of fame for the for the for your production and contribution to the game of baseball to me that is 99% on the field uh Barry Bonds notoriously mean to you know hate hated sports writers they didn't like him too much he's a hall of famer forget the roids all the other stuff but we're going to talk about some guys today that if you look at their on the field performance, I think you can make a very strong case for several of them being inducted to the Hall of Fame on December 5th. Yes. So what I want to share with everybody here, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this on the podcast. If you go to baseballhall.org, which is the official website for the Baseball Hall of Fame, you'll be able to see the uh, how they how they vote and how the candidates were uh, who they are and how this works and all the different things about this, but I'm going to use it as a way to, for us to easily go through the different names of the guys being considered for the class of 2022. First up, let's talk through the early baseball era. Now this is again, uh, the early era is from prior to 1950, basically. So you've got the super old timers. Like you said earlier, the Baseball Hall of Fame has a pretty nice representation from the 18, late 1800s, yeah. uh, 1900s, early 1900s through the 30s and 40s. But there are still some guys. There are 10 candidates. Uh, the first one is Bill Dolan. I'm going to read his quick snippet here. Then you can add some color to this. 
Bill Dolan spent 21 seasons in the majors from 1891 to 1911, playing almost 90% of his games at shortstop, compiling a 272 batting average with 84 home runs, 1,234 RBIs. He scored 100 or more runs in each of his first six seasons and recorded 100 or 20 more hit or more hits 15 times. When he retired in 1911, remember this is the dead ball era, so you have to you hear you hear 84 home runs and you're like that's not very many. He retired as the active home run leader and as the all-time leader in games played when he retired in 1911. This was as Ty Cobb was becoming Ty Cobb and uh Honus Wagner and all these guys were were in the prime of their careers in the middle of their careers. What are your thoughts on Bill Dolan? It's funny. If Saber has done anything, it has pressed Bill Dolan to the top of the Hall of Fame mountain. Uh, when Saber really got looking back and they created this early era committee of their own, they came up with three names. And again, this if I were Burt Blylevin and I read that paragraph, I would say not a Hall of Famer. There's, what that doesn't talk about is his defensive prowess on the field. He was considered the Ozzie Smith of his generation. And again, I'm not going to claim that I'm the smartest person in war. I really am not. I'm an old-fashioned statistics guy. But I believe he has the highest war of any eligible player currently eligible for the Hall of Fame that has not been linked to steroids. Uh, so anyways, back to Sabre. They put out a list of three players they thought who should get in the Hall of Fame. Bid McPhee, George Davis, and Bill Dolan. And then the next year they came out with Deacon White, who did get in the Hall of Fame. And again, none of these guys' stats have changed in the last over 100 years. So if you look at short stops with war, of the top 19, everyone is in the Hall of Fame except for A-Rod and Bill Dolan. Uh, his high, he has the highest war, I wrote this down, of any player pre-2005 except for Pete Rose that is not in the Hall of Fame. So if you're an advanced sabermetric guy, no doubt this guy's a Hall of Famer. Fair enough. Next up is, and then we're going to talk after we go through the candidates, we're going to talk about collecting these guys and trying to stay ahead of the game. That's something that you and I both think is really important in the, in the collecting world. So we'll get to that. Uh, Josh or John Donald, let's say Josh. Yes. Donald. He's not eligible yet. Uh, John Donaldson though, <laughs> pitched in the Negro leagues and pre-Negro Leagues for more than 30 years, earning a reputation as one of the best pitchers in the game. Pitching for over 30 years, that's crazy. Also playing the outfield and managing, Donaldson helped establish the barnstorming business model that was profitable for black teams for decades. John, John Donaldson Donald is probably the most polarizing candidate on this list. Uh, you may or may not know this. There's a big push by the Josh Donaldson Network to get Josh Donaldson, John, sorry, John Donaldson, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, they're all over Twitter. You know what's crazy? If you go onto Wikipedia, you look at all of these candidates and their pages are maybe like yay big. John Donaldson's page is huge. It's tremendous. Why? Because the Burple Islands of the world who may be on the committee are going to go there. They're going to look at these Wikipedia pages. So they, there's one person behind it. I forgot his name. Who's really behind the push to get John in. Now, according to legend, and I want to use legend. Well, it's not legend. It's verifiable. He had 405 wins and five, over 5,000 strikeouts. So you're saying to yourself, that's got to be a Hall of Famer. But if you look at the baseball reference who have brought in his statistics into Major League Baseball between 1920 and 1948, 
He's got a 23 and 25 win loss record with a 2.9 ERA. And that is because John Donaldson pitched mostly against semi pro teams. He was all about the money for better or worse. So if the mon, he started with the monarchs, he even coined the term the monarchs for the team. But as soon as another semi pro team offered him more money to pitch so they could attract more people at the gate, he was out of there. So the people that are against John Donaldson, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts on this, they say he's not deserving because he really didn't pitch against equal talent. Okay, fair so, enough. But, like, one more thing about John Donaldson. In 1952, the Pittsburgh Courier did this poll. It's a very famous poll about the greatest players, and they had a first through fifth all-time team. I think John Donaldson is the only player left on the first team that is not in the Hall of Fame. Interesting. Bud Fowler is next. He's often acknowledged as the first black professional baseball player having pitched and played second base for teams in more than a dozen leagues throughout his career. After spending part of his youth in Cooperstown, Fowler grew up to excel on the diamond and later helped form the successful Page Fence Giants barnstorming team. Yes, the Page Fence Giants bar uh, formed out of Michigan. He's a Michigan legend, believe it or not. Uh, everyone thinks about Moses Fleetwood Walker as the first professional player. It was, actually, it was probably Bud Fowler. Uh, Bud Fowler, it's a sad story, Bud Fowler. I mean, he came into the game, I believe, in 1878 before the Gentleman's Agreement was established. And all he wanted to do was play baseball. He loved baseball. He would, If there was a game going, there was a team that would sign him, he would go there. He claimed he played in every state. By the time he was 37 years old, he claimed he was like 56 and in the oldest living player still playing professional baseball. So, I mean, everyone acknowledged how great of a player he was. And they would, they would whenever he could get signed, he would sign. And eventually, unfortunately, a white team would come along and say, we're not going to play against him. So that team would release him because they wanted to get their money. It was all about money back then even. So he was a true victim, early victim of the gentleman's agreement, but a, a real legend of the time. Vic Harris is next. He played 18 seasons in the Negro Leagues, primarily as a left fielder for the legendary Homestead Grays. He compiled a 305 batting average and was known as one of the most aggressive base runners in the Negro National League. Harris no. also managed. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you finish it. I'm sorry. Harris also managed the Grays for 11 seasons, winning seven Negro League National League pennants and the 1948 World Series. So let me say this. I'm partial. For, I'm a very pro Vic Harris person, which we'll get to a little bit later. And I did a video on him. Uh, I think of any of the candidates, Vic Harris for sure should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, again, he has, now that the Negro League is considered a major league, he has the fourth highest pennants ever behind Connie Mack, John McGraw, and Casey Stengel. In addition, for managing over 500 games, he now has the highest winning percentage ever, 681. Number two would be Joe McCarthy at 615. These other names I say were like instant Hall of Famers. So, again, if I take the name away, Vic Harris, we talk about just what he left on the field. We're talking, it says here, eight pennants. I'm sorry, seven pennants. I thought it was eight. World Series title. Highest winning percentage ever in Major League Baseball. How do you not put that person in the Hall of Fame? Uh, his greatest, I would say, contemporary or equal would be Joe Torre. 
to think about. Okay. Th- uh, four more still. Grant yeah, home run I know, Johnson. I know. No, I know. It's okay. Grant home run Johnson was a shortstop and second baseman in the pre-Negro League era who helped form the Page Fence Giants barnstorming team, apparently with Vic Harris. A powerful hitter and occasional pitcher, Johnson played for early powerhouse teams like the Brooklyn Royal Giants and the New York Lincoln Giants. There were a lot of Giants teams. Yeah, I'll tell you the reason why is there's a great book about this. I'm going to send this to you one day. Uh, At the time, the big team in the ground in America were the New York Giants. So other teams would call themselves the Giants because they heard the Giants are coming to town. So the Giants were barnstorming back then. The New York say they go, oh, they thought the New York Giants were coming. So all these teams called themselves the Giants. It's like a movie where a guy named himself Jefferson for name recognition. The, the teams named themselves the Giants for name recognition out of the from the New York Giants. But I digress. Uh, Grant Home Run Johnson allegedly hit 60 home runs in 1894. Obviously, way before Babe Ruth. And that's how he got the name Home Run Johnson. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Page Fence Giants. Uh, they traveled around, again, with Bud Fowler. They were contemporaries. And so one year they went 118-36-2. Now, either A, they were that great, or B, as I said, they were playing semi-pro teams. And these were, no doubt about it, major leaguers had they played and were allowed to play during that time. Uh, Grant came a little bit after Bud Fowler. By then, the gentleman's agreement was firmly in place. But what's interesting about him is he, they still barnstormed against major league teams, including the Tigers, who were very good in the Highlanders slash Yankees. And they were beating these teams in barnstorming. So Grant Home Run Johnson, I to me, and again, I never saw him play, but sounds like a phenomenal player. Lefty O'Doul. Uh Played 11 seasons for the Yankees, Red Sox, Giants, Phillies, and Dodgers. Won two National League batting titles. Compiled a 349 career batting average. Fourth best in ALNL history. After his playing days, O'Doul managed in the PCL. Was credited with more than 2,000 victories in 1932. O'Doul and other players traveled to Japan where they instructed college students on the intricacies of the game. He returned to Japan several more times throughout the decade and then multiple times after World War II, becoming a beloved figure in the history of Japanese baseball. Okay, here's my two cents on Lefty O'Doul. Now, yes, he played 11 years, so technically he's eligible for the Hall of Fame. Now, for those 11 years, he was a pitcher. He wasn't even a hitter, and they converted him. And he played a total, over four years, he played 77 games total. So in my opinion, you got to wipe out those four years. You wipe out those four years, his contemporary, according to baseball reference, is Rusty Greer. And in my book, Rusty Greer, you may disagree with me, is not a Hall of Famer. Now, No, I agree with you. Put Lefty O'Doul in the PCL Hall of Fame. Put Lefty O'Doul in the Japanese Hall of Fame. I guess this is the American Hall of Fame. And to me, Lefty O'Doul is not a Hall of Famer. Fair enough. Uh, Buck O'Neill is next. One of the most beloved people that I feel like uh, towards just ambassador of the game played 10 seasons with the Memphis Red Sox, the Kansas city Monarchs of the Negro leagues was named to three all-star games following his playing career. O'Neill became a scout for the Cubs and later became the first black coach in American league or national league history with Chicago scouting for teams for much of the rest of his career. Well, he says right here, O'Neill became a beloved ambassador for the game who helped found the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. 
Now, I'm going to say something that you're going to say is horrible. Buck O'Neill does not belong on this list. Okay. And I'll tell you why Buck O'Neill does not belong on this list. I'm going to read to you right now the rules of the committee. You ready? It yes. says, if basically, if the career entitled involved multiple categories over multiple eras, the individual shall be considered will be determined by the role in which they were most prominent. Now, through 1950, Buck O'Neill was an average outfielder. You know who said that? Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill. Right. So is Buck O'Neill a Hall of Famer? A hundred percent. I am not arguing that, but I think he is just taking up space on this ballot. His greatest contribution to baseball, which is Hall of Fame worthy of his contribution, should be recognized in like the 80s and the 90s. I don't think he belongs on this era committee list. That's just my two cents. That Fair being enough. said, I'd still vote for him. Yes. Uh, Dick Cannonball Redding was regarded as perhaps the fastest pitcher in Negro League's history, hurling for teams such as the Lincoln Giants and several others, credited with multiple no-hitters. Redding was also a successful manager with the Royal Giants. Uh, Cannonball Redding, in my opinion, we'll get to this later, obviously, is the most worthy player on this list. Uh he was considered the black Christy Matthewson. He was that great of a pitcher to his contemporaries. He was constantly throwing no-hitters against other Negro League teams. And the thing that's most astounded me is he faced Babe Ruth three times during barnstorming tours, struck him out all three times. Wow. So you know he could pitch against major league talent if he had the, was allowed to. Next up is Allie Reynolds. Allie was 182 and 107 over 13 years with the Indians and Yankees with six all-star, all-star team selections. He led his teams to six World Series titles, going 7-2 and two with a 2.79 ERA. He twice finished in the top three of the American League Most Valuable Player Award voting. Meh, let's move on. George Tubby Scales played 20 seasons in the Negro Leagues as an infielder, compiling a 319 batting average and 421 on base percentage. He also managed for six seasons in the Negro Leagues and 12 seasons in the Puerto Rican Winter League. And so what do you think about Tubby? Tubby is Tubby's tough. He's a uh, he's one of those again, he was a I would put him in the hall of very good right now. I think there's much better players out there. And let me say this, if it comes to the Negro Leagues, he was a second baseman. The second baseman are Highly, highly unrecognized in the Hall of Fame. That, those and managers are probably the t, uh, two lowest, two lowest elected positions. Let's say in the Hall of Fame. That being said, I would still put Newt Allen and over Tubby Skills. All right. So going over this list, yes. Um, let, let's just let's kind of just finish the early baseball era, and then we'll go on to. Uh, I hope I didn't bore your audience. I really no, no, no. This is great. I love the information, and this is a tough era because it's hard. You know, there's not even a whole lot of like I don't even know a whole lot of lore about some of these guys. I, honestly, I mean, I I know Allie Reynolds because he played for the Yankees and they won a lot of World Series. I know Buck O'Neill because I've watched the Ken Burns baseball series a million times. Lefty O'Doul, I've heard of. But that's about it. And and so their name recognition isn't there. That doesn't, I'm not trying to diminish their accomplishments or anything, but it it's difficult 
And so as you were thinking about who should get in, remember, you can only vote for four, just like the committee members can only you know, vote for four people. Who would you put in off that list? Now, I'm going to say this. Uh, there's a recency bias here. So I'm, number one, I'm putting in Buck O'Neill. He's a Hall of Famer. And my concern is if he doesn't get in through this committee, they'll never put him on another committee. So Buck O'Neill for sure. Number okay. two is Bill Dolan. Uh, I mean, the Saber research they've done this guy is incredible. Uh, number three would be Cannibal Dick Redding. And number four would be Vic Harris. I only voted for two, even though I could vote for four. And again, that's more of a, I don't know. I, I, I just need to do more research probably to be, to, to provide a more informed decision, but I chose Buck O'Neill and Bill Dolan. Okay. Uh, to be in the hall of fame out of that era. Now, let so, me just clarify something and how in case your viewers aren't working. There are 16 people on the committee who could only vote four total. So that's 64 votes. So in a perfect world, excuse me, only five people can get in through this, which has never happened. Now, you assume I think Buck O'Neill is going to be a clean sweep. I really do. If he's a clean sweep through all 16, we are looking at at most three other candidates getting in, more likely two. I don't think more than two of, sorry, more than three have ever gotten through a veterans committee. And I think there's some very deserving Negro Leagues on here. And just because you may never heard of them, I'm hoping when they actually name the 16-member committee, they put some great historians on this committee. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, some it's less than a month away yeah. from them announcing this. Um, collecting these players, these people, uh, they're all players yeah. at, at some level. Who would you say is relatively easy to get autographs of and who would you say is harder uh let's see probably the easiest is buck o'neill he's lived till 2006 uh i know this isn't much here but uh from an autograph wise let's see here this is my buck o'neill autograph i don't know if you can see it or not yeah there we go so this is my buck o'neill i got it at the 97 national couldn't have been any nicer He's got certified cards out there. Not tough at all. Followed like by one. close. There we go. That's what I'm thinking. The 2001 greats of the game. I have the 2001 Fleer greats of the game autograph yep. of his. Uh, you'll find this to be a very common type of card that I have because a lot of these players signed for this set. Uh, it's a fantastic set, by the way. Yeah. The next um, easiest by far is Ellie Reynolds. You can, uh, there's no on card autographs that I know of, but the family released checks like this one into the population. They are common, they are like probably you're spending 40 bucks, you're spending a lot of money for an Ellie Reynolds check. Yeah, now out af there. after that, you are looking probably into the hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars to get them. So uh, if you pull that list up again here, the what next about Lefty O'Doul. Oh, I'm sorry, Lefty O'Doul. I, I totally forgot. Yeah, Lefty O'Doul. You know, when I have one, I didn't even pull it out. I don't think he's going to get in. Lefty O'Doul, very common. He owned a bar in San Francisco. So there's a lot of checks from his bar that he signed. So very again, you're, I've, I apologize so much. Yeah, very, very easy autograph to get. Yeah. Again, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, maybe for a nice check. And it's, I would say it's true for a lot of these Negro Leaguers, not just the guys on this list, but other uh, Negro League 
players, Rube Foster, and you know, it's very tough to find autographs of theirs. Yeah, I think a lot of collectors, even I started collecting the Negro Leaguers probably about five, six years ago. I realized all these new stats were coming out and they would have to open the books again. So I went and I've been slowly picking. I've been looking at the like the 1952, sorry, Pittsburgh uh, Courier. I bought this great book right here, the Negro League autograph book. It's, it's, it's beat to shreds because I read it all the time. That's what you should do with these books. So and I try to find how rare these autographs. And like, earlier this summer, I acquired, this was on my channel. This is why I'm biased. I'm not going to, I'll admit that, a Vic Harris endorsed signed check. Uh, I paid close to $500 for this. If he gets in the Hall of Fame, and it's a big if, I realize that this check will probably be closer to $5,000 easily. Wow. You just don't see Vic Harris on the market at all, especially with the provenance of this check. Uh, it's kind of like Bill Foster trying to find a William Bill Foster, about the same type of period that they existed. Uh, another uh, player is Bill Dolan. Again, I got this. I probably overpaid for Kevin Keating when he was still dealing. It's uh, certified at the probably eight years ago at the national in Cleveland, whenever that was. And uh, I see, again, a lot of people are just holding their autographs. They know Bill Dolan's a hall of famer, or at least he deserves to be a hall of famer. And they're really not letting them go. I saw one beautiful letter got let go from him for $1,500. And I know Jim Smiley out of LA picked it up, but you usually, yeah. you're not going to see Bill Dolan or any of these guys, especially now, no one's letting them out of their grasp. Until the vote. The other thing is that's so that's talking about the autograph market, which of course you're that's your uh, milieu. Right. Mine is also the card market. Getting cards of Ali Reynolds is not difficult. He's really the only player here that is relatively easy to to find some cards of. Uh, there's just not a lot of stuff out there for the Negro Leaguers at all, and. I don't think the Negro Leaguers had any cards issued in America. If you're going to find their cards, I know a couple of them had cards out of Puerto Rico and for the winter leagues out of Mexico, out of Cuba. And they're beautiful cards if you see them. I'm not going to even try to pronounce them. But the photography is beautiful. But unfortunately, the quality that they're printed on is cheap. Uh, Just everything's, I hate, I'm not trying to stereotype, but they use cheaper material in Mexico and Puerto Rico than like. God, we're talking. You had a great conversation with Jim Beckett, and a lot of these players came out during that era when it was after the T206s, but before the tops. Like, I know that Bill Dolan is a T206 guy or a T205 guy. I'm sorry. So I know he's got cards in that set. All right. Moving on to the Golden Days era. This will yes, be. Yes, yes, yes. Is everyone more... still awake? Take, should we break yeah, for right. coffee? But this is this is great because people will be more people will be familiar with these players, yes. and it, I think it'll inspire a lot more debate. Maybe not between us necessarily, but here we go with the Golden Days era. Let's, let's do it. Ten candidates for the class of twenty twenty two. Number one, Dick Rich Richie Allen, however whatever you want to call him, uh, we'll call him Dick Allen. Played fifteen seasons from nineteen sixty three to nineteen seventy seven. Your screen up. Mike, so everyone can see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, my bad. I'm reading it. Uh, he played nine seasons with the Phillies, compiling 351 home runs, 1,119 RBIs, and a 292 career average. Won the MVP in 1972, won the Rookie of the Year in 1964, and had, was a seven-time All-Star. What do you think about Dick Allen? 
I mean, I, I'm not going to go too deep into these uh, players and managers' careers because they're recent enough. But all I'll say is this. I was very fortunate, and I had dinner with Goose Gossage this past summer. And he was furious that Dick Allen passed away, not in the Hall of Fame. And he said he's going to do everything in his power, whatever that may be, to get Dick Allen in the Hall of Fame where he rightfully deserves. Awesome. I, I also, and I'm going to talk more about these people because I am, and I'm going to talk about them as we go. It'll probably be easier because uh, this is a more popular group of players. Yeah. Dick Allen, of course, needs to be in the Hall of Fame. He yes. was a beast during his time in the major leagues had some contentious relationships with managers and the sports writers. And so a lot of that surliness, like you said, was bred probably from racism and things that he had to face as a player, as a black player in the major leagues. He, he still excelled. He was still great. Um, and I, I totally think Dick Allen should be in the hall of fame. His autographs are actually relatively easy to get, which I'm sure you agree. Uh, I'm going to show his. Oh, look what I have. Look at that. So we both have the same card, the 2001 Fleer Greats of the Game. He is in that set as well. Uh, he's got tons of his, his rookie card is 1964 Tops. It's a dual player card from the Phillies. He's got obviously Tops cards throughout the 60s and 70s. All-star cards and, you know, go leaders cards and you name it. He's got all kinds of stuff. So. He, he's not tough. His rookie card is shockingly expensive. Really? Uh, and it, it, yes. It, it, for a decent copy, you're going to pay three, four, five hundred dollars $500. And I, mean, I think the reason why is, is I think everyone mentally already considers him a Hall of Famer. His, I'm saying his, I don't, I'll be surprised if there's a long-term spike in that price if he gets in or when he gets in to the Hall well, of Famer. It'll be similar to Ted Simmons in yeah. that you'll see a lot more of his rookie cards get sent in. Yeah. Once he gets in. And so the populations of those cards in graded form will go up and therefore the price will come down. That is basic economics 101. Can I put a shameless plug in? Yeah. If you subscribe to my channel, I am going to be giving away this card shortly after they announce the results because he better get in for hitting 500 subscribers. Very nice. Uh, tell everybody while we're talking about it what your channel is. It is right on there. Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, should say autograph collector, but yes, Baseball Hall of Fame autographs. Okay, so go check Frank out on YouTube. On uh, YouTube, he doesn't do podcasts or anything except with me. Yes. But go check him out. I'm exclusive. Uh, exclusive. That's right. Exclusive rights. Yes. That check is coming, by the way, that I'm sending you for being okay. on this podcast. It, I wouldn't cash it, but it's coming. <laughs> Next up is Ken Boyer. Ken played 15 seasons as a third baseman with the Cardinals, Mets, White Sox, and Dodgers, earning 11 All-Star Game selections. That's actually quite a few. And winning the 1964 NL MVP. He led the Cardinals to the World Championship that year. Thoughts on Ken Boyer? Uh, again, I'll let the stats speak for itself. I'll tell you an interesting tidbit on Ken Boyer. So he was on the ballot for like four or five years. It fell under the 5% and dropped off. And then in 1982, the baseball writers petitioned the Hall of Fame to allow him, Ron Santo, and Kurt Flood back on the ballot. And they said yes. So only time that's ever happened. So I don't know how he got lost in the flood, pun intended, 
there. So I don't think he's going to clear the ballot this time because it's so congested. But I think he's definitely, he's definitely, if he got in the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't be upset. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ken Boyer stuff is relatively easy. Do you have a Ken Boyer autograph? I do. So right here. So a while back, the Gillette company, yes, that Gillette, put out signed contracts. And they released like hundreds of them that one year that they all signed. This is Ken Boyer's version. Uh, let's see, it's dated from 1956, as you can see. That is his signature. And again, if you're buying a Ken Boyer, it's about 100 bucks. It's not terribly rare. He was always involved in baseball, very popular guy. Look for the big K, look for the K, big B. Go from there. Yeah. Tons of cards out there for Ken Boyer. Mm-hmm. He's all over the place. Next, we have Gil Hodges. Oh, Gil Hodges. Uh, and. Oh, okay, Gil Hodges was named to eight all-star teams during an 18-year big league career. It's a first baseman with the Dodgers and the Mets, winning three gold glove awards and leading the Dodgers to seven NL pennants, two World Series titles. He was also a manager, and he was the manager of the 1969 Miracle Mets team that won the World Series. Thoughts on Gil Hodges, Frank? Uh, again, even if again, if he would if he got in, I wouldn't be upset. He's one of those. He's really got his supporters. Playing in Brooklyn did not hurt, and managing the Amazing Mets did not hurt. Uh, again, I think there's some really strong candidates on this list this year, but eventually Gil Hodges does belong in the Hall of Fame. And this is where the four max vote rule really is going to hurt him, I think. Yeah. I think there's other guys that will get in before Hodges. I think Hodges is going to be close. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to be. I think he'll be the first one not in. Let's put it that way. Right. I do too. Uh, I'm one that doesn't believe Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame. And I've looked at his stats. I've looked at comparables and things like that. He's really, really good. You know, it's, it's, but I look at Duke Snyder and Roy Campanella and Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson from all those teams. Gil Hodges was, again, very good and critical to those teams. But to me, not a Hall of Famer, which but I know. You have just, to add the managerial into You have to consider that. I, I Okay, fair enough. I, look, if he got in, I wouldn't be upset. Just like Exactly. You. That's one of those. Any, I, don't, um, I don't know anyone out there that if he got in, they would say, oh, no, he should have got in like a Harold right. Baines, for example. Well, next up is Jim Cott. By the way, Gil yes. Hodges stuff is – there's tons of cards. His rookie card is actually 1949 Bowman. It's actually a very highly desirable card uh, and not super cheap, but he has autographs. Not a ton of autographs, actually. It's funny uh, you say that. This is my Gil Hodges. Uh, it came framed like this. If you could see right here, when he was like sit down, now he never did a sit down, but he would sign like a little loop like an eight, which I really like if you could find it. Uh, his, yeah, his autographs have spiked in the last year. For sure. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, next is Jim Cott. Pitched 25 seasons with the Senators, Twins, White Sox, Phillies, Yankees, and Cardinals. Won 283 games over the course of four different decades. Cott was named to three All-Star games and helped the Cardinals win the 82 World Series. What do you think about Cott? I Again, he also had 16 gold gloves. So it was not like he was just sitting there taking up space on a bench. He was right. actually doing good work out there. 
Uh, a lot of people feel he's a compiler. I don't care. I think 283 wins, 16 gold gloves, four decades, put him in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be on my finalist ballot. So Cott is uh, one of those guys that they're autograph. He has tons of autographs out there. I have multiple cards. I have a 70 tops card signed. I have, there he is on a baseball for Frank. I've got him on. I mean, he's on all sorts of things. He, he's easy to get. He's still doing uh, shows. And he still does shows. I, I did a show last weekend in St. Louis. Actually, this is a upper deck card. It's got the price tag on the back that I, I probably didn't even pay that. It was $8. <laughs> So I paid some amount less than that, and uh, it was probably a $5 autograph. If he gets in the Hall of Fame, obviously that changes every dynamic of things. To a $10 autograph? $12. Hey, 12, don't, yeah. don't, don't, be, uh, don't be bashing him. Sorry, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to bash him at all. I, think he, I said he's on my finalist list. Cot's one, of those guys, Cot's one of those guys that if he got in, I wouldn't be mad. I, I'm I wouldn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, Roger Maris, probably the most controversial player on this ballot to me. I mean, without because, getting into controversy, well, as as he, he doesn't belong that, in the hole. Sorry, you want to read it? You can that? read it. Oh, you can't see it. I can't Sorry. see it. There it is. Oh, okay. Uh, Roger Maris won back-to-back AL MVPs in '60 and '61, setting a new single-season home run record with 61 in 1961, 12 big league seasons. That's it. Seven all-star game selections though, and three world series titles. So now let's, let's be clear. Some, some of those all-star games were in the years. They played two all-star games in a year. Right. So he got, I think he only got elected to all-star games in three or four different years. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, his career was over at what, by age 32, I want to say, or 35. I just, he's not a hall of famer. Let, let, let's move on. To me, he's not. He had yeah, two he had, great years. Yeah, 60 and but, 61. But we're going to put him he, in. Let's put Denny McLean in. You know what I'm saying? He's, he had a Hall of Great year. Or let's put Don Larson in for a great game. Right. Well, I'm going to show this is a card I picked up very, very recently. Oh, wow. A 1962 top signed to Mike, best wishes. Uh, Roger didn't know that he was signing this to me back in the oh. day, but I got that from a gentleman and uh, you know, that's one of those. I'm happy to have it. I'm trying to get autographs of every MVP winner. He won Very two. Cool. I will say this real quickly. I don't have his autograph. The reason I don't have it is like, I don't have a Joe Jackson is I don't think they'll ever make the hall of fame. That being said, be so careful buying a Roger Maris. He's still beloved. He's probably the most highly forged autograph of anyone on either of those two lists. Right. Totally agree. Um, Next up is Minnie Minoso. Played 17 seasons with the Indians, White Sox, Cardinals, Senators, earning nine All-Star Game selections. Three Gold Glove Awards as an outfielder. A native of Cuba, he blazed a trail for Latin American players in the big league starting in the 50s. I will say that that doesn't even include his Negro League stats, which should be included also now that they are going to include that. And in addition to that, and I've been having debates with other people, he was buried in the minor leagues for quite some time because the White Sox were too afraid to bring up a black baseball player for a while. Yeah. So uh, no doubt about it, a Hall of Famer. I totally agree that Minnie Minoso should be in the Hall of Fame. And again, another of those, it's too sad he didn't get in while he was still alive. 
Yeah. Uh, Minoso autographs are actually relatively pricey. Um, if I put this up, I've wow. got, this is an old 1977, 1979 diamond greats. I've got him. It's got a really interesting signature. It's very scribbly. Uh, got a couple of his actually, just cause I think he's going to get in and I wanted to buy a couple before. Yeah. I, I I'm looking, it's funny. Uh, Bill, the Hall of Fame collector. I bought him a Minoso autograph last year for like 40 bucks. That card's now worth 100 And we were at the National this year, Bill and I, and he picked up an Orestes Minoso, his real legal name, Document. It was beautiful. I He paid like 40 bucks for it. I am so jealous he got this autograph. It is just a gorgeous, gorgeous autograph that Bill picked up. So, Bill, if you're watching this, I am very jealous, and I want you to know that. I, I did forget to mention something about Maris. His rookie card is 1958 tops. Obviously, his cards go through the 60s. Uh, his last Yankees card is 66 tops. And he has a couple with the Cardinals and things. Um, Minoso, his rookie card, I'm having a hard time remembering it. Is it. I think it's 52 tops. He's in actually. 52 tops. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 52 tops. And tons of cards in the fifties and the sixties and even into the seventies, if I remember right. Played in 1980 also, but I yeah, don't get a card. That, they did not make a card. He would be a tops. Now that would be a tops. Now card if they had him back. Yeah. Then. Uh, but cards are same with Dick Allen. All, all their cards are going up quite a bit because there's not a ton of them that are graded because they just weren't back then. And now if they're going to be hall of famers to me, it's again, it's that Ted Simmons effect. Next up, Danny Murtaugh managed Pittsburgh to four National League East titles, two NL pennants, and a World Series wins in 1960 and 71 over 15 seasons. He fielded the first all-black slash Hispanic lineup in big league history on September 1st, 1971. 1,115 wins, 950 losses, and five first-place finishes. What do you think about Danny Murtaugh? On paper, that sounds like a Hall of Famer to me. I'm not going to lie. I'll be honest with you. But the rumor is these teams were so good that you could have managed them to a World Series. And he was a very laid-back manager. He just let his teams do what he wanted. They say he wasn't that key into getting these titles. So I don't think – I think eventually he deserves the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he's going to get in this ballot. Yeah, I don't think he'll get in uh, either. Again, it's too packed, Yeah, uh, as you'll see in a minute. As we talk about Tony Oliva – 15 seasons for the twins. You want to go over Murtog real quick. There's like, here's his autograph on a postcard. Oh, 50 sure. bucks. You can get him right now on eBay. I just looked. There's a gorgeous contract for like 130 if I were to buy it today. Okay. So. Uh, Tony Oliva played 15 seasons for the twins. Three batting titles. Led the league in hits five times. Eight all-star games. 1964 AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, Tony Oliva. My thought of Tony Oliva is this. Uh, this is going to sound horrible. If Tony Oliva were dead, I would not vote for him. But because he's still alive, I put him on one of my four. I would like to see living players getting in the Hall of Fame. And his stats are one of those. Well, if he gets in, I could see it. If he doesn't get in, fair enough. He's a borderline candidate. But the positive he has going for him right now, this second, is he is still alive. And let's get the living players in there while they're still there, while they can still enjoy the moment. That's my a thought. Lot, alive or dead, I would put Tony Oliva in the Hall of Fame. 
Um, to me, he has as good of a candidacy as Dick Allen and Minnie Minosa, quite mm -hmm. frankly. My, my but much shorter time period is the problem. True, but technically two seasons less than Minoso and three more seasons or same amount of seasons as uh, Allen. So batting yeah, title. I, I won't get into peak war, honestly, because I don't understand it that well, but that's what his critics will say against. Whatever. We both agree we're going to put him on the list right now. For sure. Like. Uh, we're pushing Billy, the hour mark. I don't want to bore your audience. Yeah, Billy Pierce. We'll, we'll finish these up. Yeah. 211 and 169, 327 ERA in 18 seasons, mostly with the White Sox. He was an all-star seven times. Uh, led the league in complete games, three straight seasons. Had 193 complete games in his career. And in 1955, he led the American League with a 1.97 ERA. Billy Pierce. He's the Allie Reynolds of this ballot. He is. I totally agree. That's a great analogy. I totally agree. Uh, very good, no doubt, but not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, to me, uh, that's that was pretty easy. Maury Wills, fourteen seasons, fifty nine to seventy two, twelve with the Dodgers, two eighty one lifetime average, five hundred eighty six career stolen bases, won the NL MVP in nineteen sixty two, two Gold Gloves at shortstop and a seven-time all-star what are your thoughts about maury wills no I, i'm gonna say this, this is gonna sound horrible i think he's even the only reason why he's even on there is because he's still alive i really think the committee was trying to focus on the players that are still alive unfortunately he had a couple of great seasons with the dodgers obviously he, he kind of brought back the idea of the stolen base but again he was overtaken by lou brock again no pun intended very quickly and his stats just aren't strong enough in my opinion to merit yeah. a hall of famer um, I do have a couple of Maury Wills autographs. Of course, the 01 Greats of the Game, which he is in. Yeah. Uh, I have the Oliva from that set as well, which is a very great autograph. I have a Maury Wills. He's on a 2012 five-star. He has a five-star autograph. So those were in anticipation of him possibly getting in. I do. I would not vote for Maury Wills. is not on my ballot. Uh, do you have a Billy Pierce sign card? I do not. <laughs> I do not actually, but I don't think he's getting in. So I'm not, I, I wasn't so. that concerned with it. So with those 10 candidates finishing up, you get to vote for four. If you want up to four, I get to vote up to four. Who would you put on the ballot? On I think ballot? you and I both agree that Dick Allen and Minnie Minoso will get in. Yes, I, I'm going to vote for them for certain. I would vote for uh, Jim Codd and Tony Oliva as well. So I have Alan Minoso and Oliva. I left Cott off. Mm -hmm. um, and I only voted for three, honestly, which sounds bad. Again, if Boyer, Hodges, Cott get in, I'm not going to be upset. Yeah, yeah. And that's the feeling with most people. I, I just, I wouldn't say, oh, this is worthless. I, I don't believe that. I just, I don't think they're Hall of Famers. And I'm in, just like everyone else is entitled to their opinion. Other people may disagree, and that's fine. And that's what's great about the voting process is you don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. So it'll be interesting to see on December 5th. What, you know, it's on MLB Network at 6 o'clock, I think it said. They will announce the inductees, if any. There could be zero, which would yeah. be shocking. Yeah. Uh, given that there's 20 candidates being considered by two different committee to 10 each on each committee, that would surprise me. 
Uh, I think the no-brainers are Buck O'Neill, Allen, Minoso, and Oliva. Yeah, agree. And what what do you notice about all of them? Obviously, uh, they're all African American. Correct. And I think they were all pushed down, unfortunately, during their time that they deserve this recognition now. And so I only hope like Tony Oliva gets in, and I hope Jim Cock gets in personally, and they enjoy their moments. So like just as much as I enjoyed being on your podcast today. <laughs> Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, Thank you for having me. It'll be great. I do want to have you back on to discuss the actual ballot, the the writer's ballot. Once that comes out, uh, we can talk about this again. Maybe what's that? It's out. It's out. Well, technically, you're right. But uh, once that gets closer to happening, maybe you and me, and maybe we'll bring on Bill. I bet Bill. Oh, that'd be a great idea. All of us are Hall of Fame crazies, and we can discuss ad nauseum the writer's ballot. So, everybody, hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you'll go learn about some of these players. If you heard names tonight that you don't know, beyond their Wikipedia page, do yes. more than yes, Burt Bly 11. To do more than Burt Bly 11 did. Go learn about these players and – you know, educate yourself, especially the Negro League players. It's a, it's, it's amazing. I love reading about the Negro Leagues. Yeah, Shadow totally. Ball. I can't recommend high enough as a ball, as a book. Yeah, yeah. So thanks everybody. Have a great rest of your week. And whether it's Hall of Famers or anything else, always remember to keep collecting. Keep collecting. Yes.